People are challenged by receiving for several reasons. First, many people feel unworthy or undeserving. This syndrome runs rampant in our society. I would guess that over 90% of individuals have feelings of not being good enough running through their veins. Where does this low self-esteem come from? The usual, our conditioning. For most of us, it comes from hearing 20 no's for every yes, 10 you're doing it wrongs for every you're doing it right, and 5 you're stupids for every you're awesome. Even if our parents or guardians were incredibly supportive, many of us end up with feelings of not being able to continually measure up to their accolades and expectations. So once again, we're not good enough. In addition, most of us grew up with the element of punishment in our lives. This unwritten rule simply states that if you do something wrong, you will or should be punished. Some of us were punished by our parents, some of us by our teachers, and some of us in certain religious circles were threatened with the mother of all punishments, not getting into heaven. Of course, now that we're adults, all this is over, right? Wrong. For most people, the conditioning of punishment is so ingrained that because there is no one around to punish them, when they make a mistake or just aren't perfect, they subconsciously punish themselves. When they were young, this punishment might have come in the form of, you were bad, so no candy. Today, however, it could take the form of, you were bad, so no money. This explains why some people limit their earnings and why others will subconsciously sabotage their success. No wonder people have difficulty receiving. One tiny mistake, and you're doomed to carry the burden of misery and poverty for the rest of your life. A little harsh, you say? Since when did the mind become logical or compassionate? Again, the conditioned mind is a file folder filled with past programming, made-up meanings, and stories of drama and disaster. Making sense is not its strong suit. Here's something I teach in my seminars that might make you feel better. In the end, it doesn't matter whether you feel worthy or not. You can be rich either way. Plenty of wealthy people don't feel overly worthy. In fact, it's one of the major motivations for people to get rich, to prove themselves and their worth to themselves and to others. The idea that self-worth is necessary for net worth is just that, an idea. But it doesn't necessarily hold water in the real world. As we said earlier, getting rich to prove yourself may not make you the happiest camper, so you're better off creating wealth for other reasons. But what's important here is for you to realize that your feeling of unworthiness won't prevent you from getting rich. From a strictly financial point of view, this could actually be a motivational asset. Having said that, I want you to get what I'm going to share with you loud and clear. This could easily be one of the most important moments in your life. Are you ready? Here goes. Recognize that whether you are worthy or not is all a made-up story. Again, nothing has meaning except for the meaning we give it. I don't know about you, but I've never heard of anybody who went through the stamping lineup at birth. Can you imagine God stamping each person's forehead as he or she came through? Worthy, unworthy, worthy, worthy, unworthy. Yuck, definitely unworthy. Sorry, I don't think it works that way. There's no one who comes around and stamps you worthy or unworthy. You do that. You make it up. You decide it. You and you alone determine if you're going to be worthy. It's simply your perspective. If you say you're worthy, you are. If you say you're not worthy, you're not. Either way, you will live into your story. This is so critical, I'm going to repeat that again. You will live into your story. It's that simple. So, why would people do this to themselves? Why would people make up the story that they're not worthy? It's just the nature of the human mind, the protective part of us that's always looking for what's wrong. Ever notice that a squirrel doesn't worry about these things? Can you imagine a squirrel saying, I'm not going to collect many nuts this year to prepare for winter because I'm not worthy? Doubtful because these low-intelligence creatures would never do that to themselves. Only the most evolved creature on the planet, the human being, has the ability to limit itself like this. One of my own sayings is, if a hundred-foot oak tree had the mind of a human, it would only grow to be ten feet tall. 
So here's my suggestion. Since it's a lot easier to change your story than your worthiness, instead of worrying about changing your worthiness, change your story. It's a lot faster and cheaper. Simply make up a new and much more supportive story and live into that. Oh, but I couldn't do that, you say. I'm not qualified to decide that I'm worthy. That has to come from someone else. Sorry, I say, that's not quite accurate. Which is a nice way of saying bull poo. It wouldn't make a difference what anyone says or said in the past, because you have to believe it and buy into it for it to have any effect, and that can't come from anyone else but you. But just to make you feel better, let's play the game and I'll do for you what I do for thousands of participants at the Millionaire Mind Intensive Seminar. I will personally anoint you. This is a special ceremony, so I'm going to ask you to eliminate any distractions right now. Stop munching, stop talking on the phone, stop whatever you're doing. Men, if you like, you can change into a suit and tie, although a tuxedo would be best. Women, a formal evening gown and heels would be perfect. And if you don't have anything that's classy or new enough, this would definitely be an occasion to go buy yourself a brand new dress, designer label preferred. If you're all ready, let's begin. Please kneel down on one knee and bow your head in respect. Ready? Here goes. By the power invested in me, I hereby anoint you as worthy from now until forevermore. Okay, we're done. You can stand up now and hold your head high because you're finally worthy. Here's some sage advice. Stop buying into that worthiness or unworthiness crap and start taking the actions you need to take to get rich. The second major reason most people have a problem with receiving is that they have bought into the adage, it's better to give than to receive. Let me put this as elegantly as possible. What a crock. That statement is total hogwash. And in case you haven't noticed, it's usually propagated by people and groups who want you to give and them to receive. The whole idea is ludicrous. What's better, hot or cold, big or small, left or right, in or out? Giving and receiving are two sides of the same coin. Whoever decided that it is better to give than to receive was simply bad at math. For every giver, there must be a receiver. And for every receiver, there must be a giver. Think about it. How could you give if there weren't someone or something there to receive? Both have to be in perfect balance to work one-to-one, 50-50. And since giving and receiving must always equal each other, they must also be equal in importance. Besides, how does it feel to give? Most of us would agree that giving feels wonderful and fulfilling. Conversely, how does it feel when you want to give and the other person isn't willing to receive? Most of us would agree that it feels terrible. So know this. If you are not willing to receive, then you are ripping off those who want to give to you. You are actually denying them the joy and pleasure that comes from giving. Instead, they feel lousy. Why? Again, everything is energy, and when you want to give but can't, that energy cannot be expressed and gets stuck in you. That stuck energy then turns into negative emotions. To make matters worse, when you are not willing to fully receive, you are training the universe not to give to you. It's simple. If you aren't willing to receive your share, it will go to someone else who is. That's one of the reasons the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Not because they're any more worthy, but because they are willing to receive while most poor people are not. I learned this lesson in a big way while camping by myself in the forest. In preparation for my two-day sojourn, I made what's called a lean-to. This means tying the top part of a tarp to a tree and then fastening the bottom to the ground to create a 45-degree roof over my head when I slept. Thank goodness I prepared this mini condo because it rained all night. When I came out of my shelter that morning, I noticed how dry I and everything else under the tarp was. At the same time, however, I couldn't help but notice this unusually deep puddle that had collected at the bottom of the tarp. All of a sudden, I heard this inner voice say to me, Nature is totally abundant, but not discriminating. When the rain falls, it has to go somewhere. If one part is dry, another part will be doubly wet. As I stood over the puddle, 
I realized this is exactly the way it works with money. There's plenty of it, trillions and trillions of dollars floating around. It's indefinite abundance, and it has to go somewhere. The deal is this. If somebody isn't willing to receive his or her share, it must go to whoever will. The rain doesn't care where it goes, and neither does money. At this point in the Millionaire Mind Seminar, I teach people the special prayer I created after my experience under the tarp. Of course, it's a little tongue-in-cheek, but the lesson is obvious. It goes like this. Universe, if anyone has something great coming to them and they're not willing to take it, send it to me. I am open and willing to receive all of your blessings. Thank you. I have the entire audience repeat this with me, and they go crazy. They're excited because it feels amazing to be totally willing to receive, and it feels great because it's totally natural to do so. Anything you've made up to the contrary is, again, just a story that isn't serving you or anyone else. Let your story go, and your money will come. Rich people work hard and believe it's perfectly appropriate to be well rewarded for their efforts and the value they provide for others. Poor people work hard. But due to their feelings of unworthiness, they believe it is inappropriate for them to be well rewarded for their efforts and the value they provide. This belief sets them up to be perfect victims, and, of course, how can you be a good victim if you are well rewarded? Many poor people actually believe they are better people because they're poor. Somehow they believe they're more pious or spiritual or good. Baloney. The only thing poor people are is poor. I had a gentleman at the course come to me in tears. He said, I just don't see how I could feel good about having a lot of money when others have so little. I asked him a few simple questions. What good do you do for poor people by being one of them? Whom do you help by being broke? Aren't you just another mouth to feed? Wouldn't it be more effective for you to create wealth for yourself and then be able to really help others from a place of strength instead of weakness? He stopped crying and said, For the first time, I got it. I can't believe what garbage I've been thinking. Harv, I believe the time has come for me to get rich and, along the way, help others. Thank you. He went back to his seat a new man. I got an email from him not long ago telling me he's making ten times what he used to earn and that he's feeling awesome about it. Best of all, he says, it feels tremendous to be able to assist some of his friends and family who are still struggling. This leads me to an important point. If you have the wherewithal to have a lot of money, have it. Why? The truth is that we are extremely fortunate to be living in this society, a society whereby each person is in fact rich compared to many other parts of the world. Some people just don't ever have the opportunity to have a lot of money. If you are one of the lucky people who do have that ability, and each of you is or you wouldn't be reading a book like this, then use your wherewithal for all it's worth. Get really rich. And then help people who don't have the opportunity you did. That makes a lot more sense to me than being broke and helping no one. Of course, there are the people who will say, money will change me. If I get rich, I might turn into some kind of greedy jerk. First, the only people who say that are poor people. It's just another justification for their failure, and it comes from just another one of the many inner weeds in their financial garden. Don't buy it. Second, let me set the record straight. Money will only make you more of what you already are. If you're mean, money will afford you the opportunity to be meaner. If you're kind, money will afford you the opportunity to be kinder. If you're a jerk at heart, with money you can be jerkier. I know there's no such word, but if you were a real jerk, you'd find a way. If you're generous, more money will simply allow you to be more generous. And anyone who tells you different is broke. So what to do? How do you become a good receiver? First, begin to nurture yourself. Remember, people are creatures of habit, and therefore you will have to consciously practice receiving the best life has to offer. One of the key elements in the money management system we teach in the Millionaire Mind Intensive Seminar is having a play account, where you get to blow a designated amount of money on things that nurture you and allow you to feel like a million. The idea of this account is to help you validate your worthiness and strengthen your receiving muscle. Second, 
I want you to practice going crazy with excitement and gratitude anytime you find or receive any money. It's funny. When I was broke and I saw a penny on the ground, I would never stoop so low as to pick up a lowly penny. Now that I'm rich, however, I pick up anything that even looks like money, then give it a kiss for good luck and declare out loud, I am a money magnet. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I don't stand there judging the denomination. Money is money, and finding money is a blessing from the universe. Now that I'm fully willing to receive anything and everything that comes my way, I do. Being open and willing to receive is absolutely critical if you want to create wealth. It's also critical if you want to keep it. If you are a poor receiver and you somehow fall into a substantial amount of money, chances are it'll be gone quickly. Again, first the inner, then the outer. First expand your receiving box, then watch as the money comes in to fill it. Again, the universe abhors a vacuum. In other words, an empty space will always be filled. Have you ever noticed what happens with an empty closet or garage? It usually doesn't stay empty for long, does it? Have you also noticed how strange it is that the time taken for any task will always be equal to the time given? Once you expand your capacity to receive, you will. Also, once you become truly open to receiving, the rest of your life will open up. Not only will you receive more money, but you'll also receive more love, more peace, more happiness, and more fulfillment. Why? Because of another principle I constantly use that states, how you do anything is how you do everything. The way you are in one area is usually the way you are in all areas. If you've been blocking yourself from receiving money, chances are you've been blocking yourself from receiving everything else that's good in life. The mind doesn't usually delineate specifically where you are a poor receiver. In fact, it's just the opposite. The mind has a habit of overgeneralizing and says, the way it is, is the way it is, everywhere and always. If you're a poor receiver, you're a poor receiver in all areas. The good news is that when you become an excellent receiver, you'll be an excellent receiver everywhere and open to receiving all that the universe has to offer in all areas of your life. Now the only thing you'll have to remember is to keep saying thank you as you receive all of your blessings. Declaration. Place your hand on your heart and say, I am an excellent receiver. I am open and willing to receive massive amounts of money into my life. Touch your head and say, I have a millionaire mind. Millionaire Mind Actions Practice being an excellent receiver. Each time someone gives you a compliment of any sort, simply say, thank you. Do not return a compliment to that person at the same time. This allows you to fully receive and own the compliment instead of deflecting it, as most people do. This allows the giver of the compliment the joy of giving the gift without it being thrown back at them. 2. Any, and I mean any, money you receive or find should enthusiastically be celebrated. Go ahead and scream out, I am a money magnet. Thank you, thank you, thank you. This goes for money you find on the ground, for money you get as gifts, for money you get from the government, for money you get as a paycheck, and for money you get from your business. Remember, the universe is set up to support you. If you keep declaring that you are a money magnet, and especially if you have the proof, the universe will simply say, okay and send you more. 3. Pamper yourself. At least once a month, do something special to nurture yourself and your spirit. Get a massage, a manicure, or a pedicure. Take yourself for an extravagant lunch or dinner. Rent a boat or a weekend cottage. Have someone bring you breakfast in bed. You might have to trade with a friend or family member. Do things that will allow you to feel rich and deserving. Again, the vibrational energy you emit from this kind of experience will send a message to the universe that you live abundantly. And again, the universe will simply do its job and say, okay, and give you opportunities for more. Wealth File Number 11 Rich people choose to get paid based on results. Poor people choose to get paid based on time. Have you ever heard this advice? Go to school, get good grades, get a good job, get a steady paycheck, 
be on time, work hard, and you'll live happily ever after? I don't know about you, but I'd sure love to see the written guarantee on that one. Unfortunately, this sage advice comes directly from The Book of Fairy Tales, Volume 1, right after the Tooth Fairy story. I'm not going to bother debunking the entire statement. You can do that for yourself by checking your own experience and the lives of everyone around you. What I will discuss is the idea behind the steady paycheck. There's nothing wrong with getting a steady paycheck, unless it interferes with your ability to earn what you're worth. There's the rub. It usually does. Poor people prefer to be paid a steady salary or hourly wage. They need the security of knowing that exactly the same amount of money is coming in at exactly the same time, month in, month out. What they don't realize is that this security comes with a price, and the cost is wealth. Living based in security is living based in fear. What you're actually saying is, I'm afraid I won't be able to earn enough based on my performance, so I'll settle for earning just enough to survive or to be comfortable. Rich people prefer to get paid based on the results they produce, if not totally, then at least partially. Rich people usually own their own business in some form. They make their income from their profits. Rich people work on commission or percentages of revenue. Rich people choose stock options and profit sharing in lieu of higher salaries. Notice there are no guarantees with any of the above. As stated earlier, in the financial world, the rewards are usually proportionate to the risk. Rich people believe in themselves. They believe in their value and in their ability to deliver it. Poor people don't. That's why they need guarantees. Recently, I dealt with a public relations consultant who wanted me to pay her fee of $4,000 per month. I asked her what I'd receive for my $4,000. She replied that I'd see at least $20,000 of coverage per month in the media. I said, what if you don't produce those results or anything close to it? She answered that she would still be putting in the time, so she deserved to get paid. I replied, I'm not interested in paying for your time. I'm interested in paying you for a specific result. And if you don't produce that result, why should I pay you? On the other hand, if you produce even greater results, you should get paid more. Tell you what. I'll give you 50% of whatever media value you produce. According to your figures, that would mean paying you $10,000 per month, which is more than double your fee. Did she go for it? Nope. Is she broke? Yep. And she will be for the rest of her life, or until she figures out that to get rich, you will need to be paid based on results. Poor people trade their time for money. The problem with this strategy is that your time is limited. This means that you invariably end up breaking wealth rule number one, which states, never have a ceiling on your income. If you choose to get paid for your time, you are pretty much killing your chances for wealth. This rule also applies to personal service businesses where, again, you generally get paid for your time. That's why lawyers, accountants, and consultants who are not yet partners in their firm and therefore don't share in the business profits, make a moderate living at best. Suppose you are in the pen business and you get an order for 50,000 pens. If this were the case, what would you do? You'd simply call your supplier, order 50,000 pens, send them off, and happily count your profits. On the other hand, suppose you are a massage therapist and you're fortunate enough to have 50,000 people lined up outside your door, all wanting a massage from you. What do you do? You kill yourself for not being in the pen business. What else can you do? Try explaining to the last person in line that you may be running a little late, as in their appointment is Tuesday at 3.15, four decades from now. I'm not suggesting there's anything wrong with being in a personal service business. Just don't expect to get rich anytime soon unless you create a way to duplicate or leverage yourself. At my seminars, I often meet salaried or hourly wage employees who complain to me that they're not getting paid what they're worth. My response is, in whose opinion? I'm sure your boss thinks you're being compensated fairly. Why don't you get off the salary treadmill and ask to be paid based fully or partially on your performance? Or, if that is not possible, why not work for yourself? Then you'll know you're making exactly what you're worth.
Somehow, this advice doesn't seem to appease these people who are obviously terrified of testing their true value in the marketplace. The fear most people have of being paid based on their results is often just a fear of breaking out of their old conditioning. In my experience, most people who are stuck in the steady paycheck rut have past programming that tells them this is the normal way to get paid for your work. You can't blame your parents. I guess you can if you're a good victim. Most parents tend to be overly protective, so it's only natural for them to want their kids to have a secure existence. As you've probably already found out, any work that doesn't provide a steady paycheck usually produces the infamous parental response, When are you going to get a real job? I remember when my parents asked me that question. Thank goodness my reply was, hopefully never. My mother was devastated. My father, however, said, Good for you. You'll never get rich working on straight salary for someone else. If you're going to get a job, make sure you get paid on percentage. Otherwise, go work for yourself. I, too, encourage you to work for yourself. Start your own business, work on commission, get a percentage of revenue or company profits, or get stock options. Whatever your vehicle, make certain you create a situation that allows you to get paid based on your results. Personally, I believe just about everyone should own their own business, be it full-time or part-time. The first reason is that by far, the vast majority of millionaires became rich by being in their own business. Secondly, it's extremely difficult to create wealth when the tax man is grabbing almost half of everything you earn. When you own a business, you can save a small fortune in taxes by writing off a portion of your expenses for such things as your car, travel, education, and even your home. For that reason alone, it's worth having your own business. If you don't have a brilliant business idea, not to worry. You can use someone else's. First, you can become a commissioned salesperson. Selling is one of the world's highest paid professions. If you're good, you can earn a fortune. Second, you can join a network marketing company. There are dozens of excellent ones, and they have in place all of the products and systems you need to get started immediately. For just a few bucks, you can become a distributor and have all the benefits of owning a business with few of the administrative hassles. If it resonates with you, Network marketing can be a dynamite vehicle for wealth. But, and this is a big but, don't think for a minute that you're going to get a free ride. Network marketing will only work if you do. It will take training, time, and energy to succeed. But if you do, incomes in the range of 20000 to 50000 per month, that's right, per month, are not uncommon. In any case, just signing up and becoming a part-time distributor will give you some excellent tax advantages, and who knows? Maybe you'll enjoy the product enough to offer it to others and end up making a nice income to boot. Another option is exchanging your job for a contract position. If your employer is willing, he or she can hire your company instead of you to do basically what you're doing now. A few legal requirements have to be fulfilled, but for the most part, if you add one or two more clients, even part-time, you can get paid as a business owner instead of an employee and enjoy business owner tax benefits. Who knows? Those part-time clients may grow to become full-time clients, which would then give you the opportunity to leverage yourself, hire other people to get all the work done, and eventually you'll be running your own full-on business. You might think, my employer would never go for that. I wouldn't be too sure about that. You have to understand it costs a company a fortune to have an employee. Not only do they have to pay salary or wages, but they have to pay a whack of money on top of that to the government, often to the tune of 25% or more above what the employee earns. Add to that the cost of the benefits package that most employees get, and you've probably got a 50% savings to a company that chooses to hire you as an independent consultant. Of course, you won't be eligible for many of the benefits you got as an employee, but for what you save in taxes alone, you can buy the best of what you need on your own. In the end, the only way to earn what you're really worth is to get paid based on your results. Once again, my dad said it best. You'll never get rich working on straight salary for someone else. If you're going to get a job, make sure you get paid on percentage. Otherwise, go work for yourself. Now that's sage advice. Declaration. Place your hand on your heart and say, 
I choose to get paid based on my results. Touch your head and say, I have a millionaire mind. Millionaire Mind Actions 1. If you are currently in a job getting paid based on an hourly wage or salary, create and propose a compensation plan to your employer that would allow you to get paid at least partly based on your individual results as well as the results of the company. If you own your own business, create a compensation plan that allows your employees or even primary suppliers to get paid based more on their results and the results of your company. Put these plans into action immediately. 2. If you are currently in a job and not being paid what you are worth based on the results you are producing, consider starting your own business. You can begin part-time. You could easily join a network marketing company or become a coach teaching others what you know, or offer your independent consulting services back to the company you originally worked for, but this time paid on performance and results rather than only for your time. Success Story from Sean Nitta Dear Harv, I can't explain how grateful we are that we were introduced to you by one of my wife's friends. At the time, I just received a $10,000 cut in pay. We were desperately looking for options, as we were not making ends meet anymore. At the Millionaire Mind Intensive, we learned the tools that helped us create financial freedom. Once we put the tools in place, miracles started to happen. We were able to purchase five homes within the next year all with a minimum profit of at least $18,000 each. The fifth house had a profit of $300,000, six times my previous yearly salary. I was able to quit my job of 14 years and become a full-time real estate investor, giving me free time to be with my family and friends. Your method of teaching at the cellular level has been a great key to our success. I cannot wait for what is ahead. I only wish I'd learned this when I was in my 20s. Thank you. Sincerely, Sean Nitta, Seattle, Washington. Wealth File Number 12 Rich people think both. Poor people think either or. Rich people live in a world of abundance. Poor people live in a world of limitations. Of course, both live in the same physical world, but the difference is in their perspective. Poor and most middle-class people come from scarcity. They live by mottos such as, there's only so much to go around, there's never enough, and you can't have everything. And although you may not be able to have everything, as in all the things in the world, I do think you can certainly have everything you really want. Do you want a successful career or a close relationship with your family? Both. Do you want to focus on business or have fun and play? Both. Do you want money or meaning in your life? Both. Do you want to earn a fortune or do the work you love? Both. Poor people always choose one. Rich people choose both. Rich people understand that with a little creativity you can almost always figure out a way to have the best of both worlds. From now on, when confronted with an either-or alternative, the quintessential question to ask yourself is, how can I have both? This question will change your life. It will take you from a model of scarcity and limitation to a universe of possibilities and abundance. This doesn't just pertain to things you want. It pertains to all areas of life. For example, right now, I'm preparing to deal with an unhappy supplier that believes my company should pay for certain expenses they've had that weren't originally agreed to. My feeling is that estimating his costs is his business, not mine. And if he's incurred higher expenses, that's something he has to deal with. I'm more than willing to negotiate a new agreement for next time, but I'm big on keeping agreements that were already made. Now in my broke days, I'd go into this discussion with the goal of making my point and making sure I don't pay this guy one cent more than we agreed upon, and even though I'd like to keep him as a supplier, this would probably end up in a huge argument. I'd go in thinking either he wins or I win. Today, however, because I've trained myself to think in terms of both, I'm going into this discussion completely open to creating a situation where I'm not going to pay him any more money and he's going to be extremely happy with the arrangements we do make. In other words, my goal is to have both. Here's another example. Several months ago, I decided to purchase a vacation home in Arizona. I scoured the area I was interested in and every real estate agent told me 
if I wanted three bedrooms plus a den in that vicinity, I'd have to pay over a million dollars. My intention was to keep my investment in this home under a million. Most people would either lower their expectations or raise their budget. I held out for both. I recently got a call that the owners of a house in the exact location I wanted, with the number of rooms I wanted, had reduced their price $200,000 to under a million. Here's another tribute to the intention of having both. Finally, I always told my parents that I didn't want to slave away at work I didn't enjoy and that I would get rich doing what I love. Their response was the usual. You're living in a dream world. Life is not a bowl of cherries. They said business is business, pleasure is pleasure. First, you take care of making a living. Then, if there's any time left over, you can enjoy your life. I remember thinking to myself, hmm, if I listen to them, I'll end up like them. No, I'm gonna have both. Was it tough? You bet. Sometimes I'd have to work at a job I hated for a week or two so I could eat and pay the rent. But I never lost my intention of having both. I never got stuck long-term in a job or business I didn't like. Eventually, I did become rich doing what I loved. Now that I know it can be done, I continue to pursue only the work and projects that I love. Best of all, I now have the privilege of teaching others to do the same. Nowhere is both thinking more important than when it comes to money. Poor and many middle-class people believe that they have to choose between money and the other aspects of life. Consequently, they've rationalized a position that money is not as important as other things. Let's set the record straight. Money is important. To say that it's not as important as any of the other things in life is ludicrous. What's more important, your arm or your leg? Could it be that both are important? Money is a lubricant. It enables you to slide through life instead of having to scrape by. Money brings freedom. Freedom to buy what you want and freedom to do what you want with your time. Money allows you to enjoy the finer things in life as well as giving you the opportunity to help others have the necessities in life. Most of all, having money allows you to not have to spend your energy worrying about not having money. Happiness is important, too. Again, here's where poor and middle-class people get confused. Many people believe money and happiness are mutually exclusive, that either you can be rich or you can be happy. Again, this is nothing more than poor programming. People who are rich in every sense of the word understand that you have to have both. Just as you have to have both your arms and your legs, you have to have money and happiness. You can have your cake and eat it, too. So here's another major difference between rich people, middle-class people, and poor people. Rich people believe you can have your cake and eat it, too. Middle-class people believe cake is too rich, so I'll only have a little piece. Poor people don't believe they deserve cake, so they order a donut focus on the whole, and wonder why they have nothing. I ask you, what is the use of having your cake if you can't eat it? Exactly what are you supposed to do with it? Put it on your mantle and look at it? Cake is meant to be eaten and enjoyed. Either-or thinking also trips up people who believe that if I have more, then someone else will have less. Again, this is nothing more than fear-based, self-defeating programming. The notion that the wealthy people of the world have and are somehow hoarding all the money so there's none left for anyone else is preposterous. First, this belief assumes that there is a limited supply of money. I'm not an economist, but from what I can see, they just keep printing more of the stuff every day. The actual money supply hasn't been tied to any real asset for decades. So even if the wealthy had all the money today, tomorrow there'd be millions, if not billions, more available. The other thing people with this limited belief don't seem to realize is that the same money can be used over and over to create value for everyone. Let me give you an example I've used in our seminars. I'll ask five people to come on stage and bring an item with them. I ask them to stand in a circle. Then I give a $5 bill to the first person and ask them to buy something from person number two for that money. Suppose they buy a pen. So now person number one has a pen and person number two has the five dollars. Person two now uses the same five dollar bill to buy, say, a clipboard from person number three. Then number three uses the same five dollar bill to buy a notebook from number four. I hope you get the picture and the point.
the exact same $5 was used to bring value to each person that had it. That same $5 went through five different people and created $5 worth of value for each and a total of $25 in value for the group. That $5 did not get depleted and, as it circled around, created value for everyone. The lessons are clear. First, money does not get depleted. You can use the same money again and again for years and years and thousands and thousands of people. Second, the more money you have, the more you can put into the circle, which means other people then have more money to trade for more value. This is exactly the opposite of either-or-based thinking. To the contrary, when you have money and use it, you and the person you spend it with both have the value. Put bluntly, if you're so worried about other people and making sure they get their share, as if there is a share, do what it takes to get rich so you can spread more money around. If I can be an example for anything, it would be that you can be a kind, loving, caring, generous, and spiritual person and be really frickin' rich. I strongly urge you to dispel the myth that money is in any way bad or that you will be less good or less pure if you are wealthy. That belief is absolute salami, in case you're tired of baloney. And if you keep eating it, you won't just be fat, you'll be fat and broke. Hey, what do you know? Another example of both. My friends, being kind, generous, and loving has nothing to do with what is or isn't in your wallet. Those attributes come from what is in your heart. Being pure and spiritual have nothing to do with what is or isn't in your bank account. Those attributes come from what's in your soul. To think money makes you good or bad one way or another is either-or thinking and just plain programmed garbage that is not supportive to your happiness and success. It's also not supportive to those around you, especially to children. If you're that adamant about being a good person, then be good enough not to infect the next generation with the disempowering beliefs you may inadvertently have adopted. If you really want to live a life without limits, whatever the situation, let go of either-or thinking and maintain the intention to have both. Declaration Place your hand on your heart and say, I always think both. Touch your head and say, I have a millionaire mind. Millionaire Mind Actions 1. Practice thinking and creating ways of having both. Whenever alternatives are presented to you, ask yourself, how can I have both? 2. Become aware that money in circulation adds to everyone's life. Each time you spend money, say to yourself, this money will go through hundreds of people and create value for all of them. 3. Think of yourself as a role model for others showing that you can be kind, generous, loving, and rich. Wealth File Number 13 Rich people focus on their net worth. Poor people focus on their working income. When it comes to money, people in our society typically ask, how much do you make? Seldom do you hear the question, what is your net worth? Few people talk this way, except, of course, at the country club. In country clubs, the financial discussion almost always centers around net worth. Jim just sold his stock options. He's worth over $3 million. Paul's company just went public. He's worth $8 million. Sue just sold her business. She's now worth $12 million. At the country club, you're not going to hear, Hey, did you hear that Joe got a raise? Yeah, and a 2% cost of living allowance to boot. If you did hear that, you'd know you're listening to a guest for the day. The true meaning of wealth is net worth, not working income. Always has been, always will be. Net worth is the financial value of everything you own. To determine your net worth, add up the value of everything you own, including your cash and investments such as stocks, bonds, real estate, the current value of your business if you own one, the value of your residence if you own it, and then subtract everything you owe. Net worth is the ultimate measure of wealth because, if necessary, what you own can eventually be liquidated into cash. Rich people understand the huge distinction between working income and net worth. Working income is important, but it is only one of the four factors that determine your net worth. The four net worth factors are 1. Income 2. Savings 
3. Investments 4. Simplification Rich people understand that building a high net worth is an equation that contains all four elements. Because all of these factors are essential, let's examine each one. Income comes in two forms, working income and passive income. Working income is the money earned from active work. This includes a paycheck from a day-to-day -day job or, for an entrepreneur, the profits or income taken from a business. Working income requires that you are investing your own time and labor to earn money. Working income is important because, without it, it is almost impossible to address the other three net worth factors. Working income is how we fill up our financial funnel, so to speak. All things being equal, the more working income you earn, the more you can save and invest. Although working income is critical, again, it is only valuable as part of the entire net worth equation. Unfortunately, poor and many middle-class people focus exclusively on working income out of the four factors. Consequently, they end up with a low or no net worth. Passive income is money earned without you actively working. We will discuss passive income in greater detail a little later. But for now, consider it another stream of income filling up the funnel, which can then be used for spending, saving, and investing. Savings is also imperative. You can earn wads of money, but if you don't keep any of it, you will never create wealth. Many people have a financial blueprint that is wired for spending. Whatever money they have, they spend. They choose immediate gratification over long-term balance. Spenders have three mottos. The first motto is, it's only money, therefore money is something they don't have much of. The second motto is, what goes around comes around. At least they hope so. Because their third motto is, sorry, I can't right now. I'm broke. Without creating income to fill the funnel and savings to keep it there, it is impossible to address the next net worth factor. Once you've begun saving a decent portion of your income, then you can move to the next stage and make your money grow through investing. Generally, the better you are at investing, the faster your money will grow and generate a greater net worth. Rich people take the time and energy to learn about investing and investments. They pride themselves on being excellent investors or at least hiring excellent investors to invest for them. Poor people think investing is only for rich people, so they never learn about it and stay broke. Again, every part of the equation is important. Our fourth net worth factor may well be the dark horse of the bunch, because few people recognize its importance in creating wealth. This is the factor of simplification. It goes hand in hand with saving money, whereby you consciously create a lifestyle in which you need less money to live on. By decreasing your cost of living, you increase your savings and the amount of funds available for investing. To illustrate the power of simplification, here's the story of one of our millionaire mind participants. When Sue was only 23, she made a wise choice. She purchased a home. She paid just under $300,000 at the time. Seven years later, in a sizzling hot market, Sue sold her home for over $600,000, meaning she profited over $300,000. She considered buying a new home, but after attending the Millionaire Mind Intensive Seminar, she recognized that if she invested her money in a secure second mortgage at 10% interest and simplified her lifestyle, she could actually be quite comfortable living on the earnings from her investments and not have to work ever again. Instead of purchasing a new home, she moved in with her sister. Now, at 30 years of age, Sue is financially free. She won her independence not through earning a ton of money, but by consciously scaling back her personal overhead. Yes, she still works because she enjoys it, but she doesn't have to. In fact, she only works six months of the year. The rest of the time she spends in Fiji, first because she loves it, and second, she says, her money goes even further there. Because she lives with the locals rather than the tourists, she doesn't spend a lot. How many people do you know who would love to spend six months of each year living on a tropical island, never having to work again at the ripe old age of 30? How about 40? 50? 60? Ever? It's all because Sue created a simple lifestyle and, consequently, doesn't need a fortune to live on. So what will it take for you to be happy financially? 
If you need to live in a mansion, have three vacation homes, own ten cars, take annual trips around the world, eat caviar and drink the finest champagne to enjoy your life, that's fine. But recognize you've set your bar pretty darn high, and it may take you a long, long time to get to a point where you're happy. On the other hand, if you don't need all the toys to be happy, you'll probably reach your financial goal a lot sooner. Again, building your net worth is a four-part equation. As an analogy, imagine driving a bus with four wheels. What would the ride be like if you were driving on one wheel only? Probably slow, bumpy, full of struggle, sparks, and going in circles. Does that sound familiar? Rich people play the money game on all four wheels. That's why their ride is fast, smooth, direct, and relatively easy. By the way, I use the analogy of a bus because once you are successful, your goal might be to bring others along on the ride with you. Poor and most middle-class people play the money game on one wheel only. They believe that the only way to get rich is to earn a lot of money. They believe that only because they've never been there. They don't understand Parkinson's law, which states, Expenses will always rise in direct proportion to income. Here's what's normal in our society. You have a car, you make more money, and you get a better car. You have a house, you make more money, and you get a bigger house. You have clothes, you make more money, and you get nicer clothes. You have holidays, you make more money, and you spend more on holidays. Of course, there are a few exceptions to this rule, very few. In general, as income goes up, expenses almost invariably go up too. That's why income alone will never create wealth. This book is called Secrets of the Millionaire Mind. Does millionaire refer to income or net worth? Net worth. Therefore, if your intention is to be a millionaire or more, you must focus on building your net worth, which, as we've discussed, is based on much more than just your income. Make it a policy to know your net worth to the penny. Here's an exercise that can change your financial life forever. Take a blank sheet of paper and title it net worth. Then create a simple chart that begins with zero and ends with whatever your net worth objective is. Note your current net worth as it is today. Then, every 90 days, enter your new net worth. That's it. If you do this, you will find yourself getting richer and richer. Why? Because you will be tracking your net worth. Remember, what you focus on expands. As I often say in our training, where attention goes, energy flows, and results show. By tracking your net worth, you are focusing on it, and because what you focus on expands, your net worth will expand. By the way, this law goes for every other part of your life. What you track increases. To that end, I encourage you to find and work with a good financial planner. These professionals can help you track and build your net worth. They will assist you in organizing your finances and introduce you to a variety of vehicles for saving and growing your money. The best way to find a good financial planner is to seek a referral from a friend or associate who is happy with the person he or she uses. I'm not saying to take everything your planner says as gospel, but I am suggesting that you find a qualified professional with the skills to help you plan and track your finances. A good planner can provide you with the tools, software, knowledge, and recommendations to help you build the kind of investing habits that will produce wealth. Generally, I recommend finding a planner who works with an array of financial products rather than just insurance or just mutual funds. In that way, you can find out about a variety of options, then decide what's right for you. Declaration Place your hand on your heart and say, I focus on building my net worth. Touch your head and say, I have a millionaire mind. Millionaire Mind Actions 1. Focus on all four net worth factors, increasing your income, increasing your savings, increasing your investment returns, and decreasing your cost of living by simplifying your lifestyle. 2. Create a net worth statement. To do this, add the current dollar value of everything you own, your assets, and subtract the total value of everything you owe, your liabilities. Commit to tracking and revising this statement each quarter. Again, by virtue of the law of focus, what you track will increase. 3. 
Hire a financial planner who is highly successful and works with a well-known, reputable company. Again, the best way to find a great financial planner is to ask friends and associates for their referrals. Special bonus. Go to www.millionairemindbook.com and click on Free Book Bonuses to receive your free net worth tracking sheet. Wealth File Number 14 Rich people manage their money well. Poor people mismanage their money well. Thomas Stanley, in his best-selling book, The Millionaire Next Door, surveyed millionaires from across North America and reported on who they are and how they attained their wealth. The results can be summarized in one short sentence. Rich people are good at managing their money. Rich people manage their money well. Poor people mismanage their money. Wealthy people are not any smarter than poor people. They just have different and more supportive money habits. As we discussed in part one of this book, these habits are primarily based on our past conditioning. So first, if you're not managing your money properly, you were probably programmed not to manage money. Second, there's a better than good chance you don't know how to manage your money in a way that's easy and effective. I don't know about you, but where I went to school, Money Management 101 wasn't offered. Instead, we learned about the War of 1812, which, of course, is something I use every single day. It may not be the most glamorous of topics, but it comes down to this. The single biggest difference between financial success and financial failure is how well you manage your money. It's simple. To master money, you must manage money. Poor people either mismanage their money or they avoid the subject of money altogether. Many people don't like to manage their money because, first, they say it restricts their freedom, and second, they say they don't have enough money to manage. As for the first excuse, managing money does not restrict your freedom. To the contrary, it promotes it. Managing your money allows you to eventually create financial freedom so that you never have to work again. To me, that's real freedom. As for those who use the I-don't-have-enough-money-to-manage rationale, they're looking through the wrong end of the telescope. Rather than say, when I have plenty of money, I'll begin to manage it, the reality is, when I begin to manage it, I'll have plenty of money. Saying, I'll start managing my money as soon as I get caught up is like an overweight person saying, I'll start exercising and dieting as soon as I lose 20 pounds. It's putting the cart before the horse, which leads to going nowhere, or even backward. First, you start properly handling the money you have, then you'll have more money to handle. In the Millionaire Mind Intensive Seminar, I tell a story that hits most people right between the eyes. Imagine you're walking along the street with a five-year-old. You come across an ice cream store and go inside. You get the child a single scoop of ice cream on a cone because they don't have any cups. As the two of you walk outside, you notice the cone wobbling in the child's tiny hands and, all of a sudden, plop. The ice cream falls out of the cone onto the pavement. The child begins to cry. So back you go into the store, and just as you're about to order for the second time, the child notices a colorful sign with a picture of the triple scooper cone. The child points to the picture and excitedly screams, I want that one! Now, here's the question. Being the kind, loving, and generous person that you are, would you go ahead and get this child the triple scooper? Your initial response might be, sure. However, when considering the question a little more deeply, most of our seminar participants respond, no. Because why would you want to set the child up to fail? The child couldn't even handle a single scoop. How could the child possibly handle a triple scoop? The same holds true when it comes to the universe and you. We live in a kind and loving universe, and the rule is, until you show you can handle what you've got, you won't get any more. You must acquire the habits and skills of managing a small amount of money before you can have a large amount. Remember, we are creatures of habit, and therefore the habit of managing your money is more important than the amount. So, how exactly do you manage your money? At the Millionaire Mind Intensive Seminar, we teach what many believe to be an amazingly simple and effective money management method. It's beyond the scope of this book to go over every detail. However, let me give you a couple of the basics so you can get started. Open a separate bank account designated your financial freedom account. Put 10% of every dollar you receive after taxes into this fund. 
This money is only to be used for investments and buying or creating passive income streams. The job of this account is to build a golden goose that lays golden eggs called passive income. And when do you get to spend this money? Never. It is never spent, only invested. Eventually, when you retire, you get to spend the income from the fund, the eggs, but never the principal itself. In this way, it always keeps growing and you can never go broke. One of our students, named Emma, recently told me her story. Two years ago, Emma was about to claim bankruptcy. She didn't want to, however, she felt she had no other option. She was in debt beyond what she could handle. Then she attended the Millionaire Mind Intensive Seminar and learned about the money management system. Emma said, 